1: The children of Israel did evil. The judge died. The children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord strengthened Eglon, the king of Moab, against Israel because they had done evil in the sight of the Lord. So again, here we see it. The sin, the servitude, supplication, the salvation, God's amazing grace. Then that judge dies. They go right back into it again. As we read again, the nation was under judgment for eight years God, through Othniel, then delivered them, and the area had rest for 40 years. What is 40 years? About a generation. Once again, about a generation. And then they forget the Lord, and they move on. In the book of Judges, the Israelites follow a predictable pattern. The elders don't pass down
0: the history of what the Lord has done for them, so they fall into sin. Because of that sin, God calls for servitude. Then the people ask for forgiveness, which, by God's grace, He provides. The cycle happens over and over again. The church today similarly risks failing the next generation by not teaching them about Jesus. Don't follow the Israelites' pattern, but be encouraged to share with the next generation. Well, here's Pastor David in the book of Judges chapter 3 as he continues his message through the book of Judges.
1: Verse 8, therefore the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel, and he sold them into the hand of Kushan Rishathaim, king of Mesopotamia. And the children of Israel served Kushan Rishathaim eight years. And when the children of Israel cried out to the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer for the children of Israel, who delivered them Othniel, the son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother. And the spirit of the Lord came upon him, and he judged Israel. He went out to war, and the Lord delivered Cushan Reshathayim, king of Mesopotamia, into his hand. And his hand prevailed over Cushan Reshathayim. And so the land had rest for 40 years. Then Othniel, the son of Kenaz, died. And there it is again. And the children of Israel did evil. The judge died The children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord strengthened Eglon, the king of Moab, against Israel because they had done evil in the sight of the Lord. So again, here we see it. The sin, the servitude, supplication, the salvation, God's amazing grace. Then that judge dies. They go right back into it again. As we read again, the nation was under judgment for eight years God through Othniel then delivered them and the area had rest for 40 years. What is 40 years? About a generation. Once again, about a generation. And then they forget the Lord and they move on. The next judge that we find still in chapter three is Ehud. Now, Ehud was a left-handed Benjamite. You might think, well, so what? Well, it actually plays into it pretty good. He delivered the people actually from 18 years of servitude under the oppression of this guy, Eglon, the king of Moab. Now, Eglon, the king of Moab, it says that he was extremely fat man. Ehud goes with a group. They're supposed to bring tribute to Eglon, the king of Moab. And as everybody's leaving, Ehud turns around and says, hey, listen, I've got a special message for you. And so Eglon thinks he's gonna get something you know, very nice and so he sends everybody out of the room and as he goes out of the room, well, look at verse 20 there in chapter three. Ehud said, I have a message from God for you and so he arose from his seat and then Ehud reached with his left hand and took the dagger from his right thigh and thrust it into Eglon's belly. Even the hilt went in after the blade, and the fat closed over the blade, for he did not draw the dagger out from his belly, and his entrails came out. That is always a cool story to tell to junior high boys. Okay. They love that story. Okay. But the fact is, is you know, he delivered them at that point in time. Verse 23. Ehud then went out through the porch and shut the doors of the upper room behind him, locked them. When he had gone out, Eglon's servants came to look, and to their surprise, the doors of the upper room were locked. So they said, ah, He's probably attending to his needs in the cool chamber. He's probably going to the restroom. He's taking care of things, you know, in, in the privacy of his own chamber. They waited till they were embarrassed, and still he had not opened the doors of the upper room. Therefore, they took the key, they opened the door, and their master, there he was, fallen dead on the floor. But Ahud had escaped while they delayed and passed through the stone images and escaped to Sirah. And it happened when he arrived that he blew the trumpet in the mountains of Ephraim. Children of Israel went down with him from the mountains, and he led them. Then he said to them, hey, follow me, for the Lord has delivered Your enemies, the Moabites, into your hand. So they went down after him. They seized the fords of the Jordan leading to Moab and did not allow anyone to cross over. And at that time, they killed about 10,000 men of Moab, all stout men of valor. Not a man escaped. So Moab was subdued that day under the hand of Israel, and the land had rest now for 80 years. 80 years. Man, doing great. Problem is Goes back in the old routine again. One single verse, verse 31, tells us of judge number three, Shamgar. Killed 600 men of the Philistines with an ox goad and he also delivered Israel. And I know that Brad and I spoke about uh, uh, Shamgar. uh, Again, the the ox goad, the the stick being used. and Whatever we have, God can use if we're willing to surrender it to him. During the same time, the fourth judge arises. This time, it's a woman by the name of Deborah. In chapter four, we read the area had been under the control or or the rule of Jabin, the king of the Canaanites there, now for more than 20 years. And Jabin's commander was a guy by the name of Sisera. And Sisera commanded 900 chariots of iron. So pretty powerful army that he had. Down in verse four there of chapter four. Now Deborah, the prophetess, the wife of Lephodoth was judging Israel at that time. She'd sit under the palm tree of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the mountains of Ephraim and the children of Israel came up to her for judgment. Then in verse six, then she sent and called for Barak. Well, she tells Barak that the Lord has now called him to deliver Israel from Jabin and from Sisera's army. And Barak kind of, you know, responds this way. Look down in verse eight. He says, yeah, I'll go, if you go with me, then I'll go. But if you don't go with me, I'm not going. So a really brave warrior, this uh, Barak guy, so he's he's ready to go, but he said, no, I'm not going, if you're not going, if you're not going, I'm not, I'm not gonna go. And so Deborah tells him in verse nine, "Oh, listen, I'll go with you, but you need to understand, there's not gonna be any glory for you in this journey Uh, Again, for the Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. And so then Deborah arose and went with Barak to Kadesh. And so they went down, and thanks to the Lord providing this major rainstorm, the chariots of iron, they get all stuck in the mud and the water. And down in verse 15, it says, and the Lord routed Sisera and all of his chariots and all of his army with the edge of the sword before Barak, and Sisera alighted from his chariot and fled away on foot. He, uh, Sisera, ran to the tent of this woman by the name of JL Uh, she was the wife of Heber the Canaanite who actually had gotten along with the the Canaanites okay because he's a Canaanite, he's not an Israeli but yet JL understood uh, again uh, uh, what was going on she invited him in said look you can hide out here, let me give you some refreshments she gave him some warm goat's milk, uh, laid him down on the floor covered him over, he quickly fell asleep After after he fell asleep she drove a tent peg through his head and into the ground, that's another a really great one for junior high boys they understand how that can work and so again so uh deborah sings this great song in chapter five which uh i'm not going to sing for you uh but uh i want to draw your attention to verse uh, 24 part of this song where she re- sings most blessed among women is jl the wife of heber the canaanite blessed is she among women in tents. he asked for water she gave milk She brought out cream in a lordly bowl. She stretched her hand to the tent peg, her right hand to the workman's hammer. She pounded Sisera. She pierced his head. She split and struck through his temple. At her feet he sank. He fell. He lay still. At her feet he sank. He fell. Where he sank, there he fell. Dead. Dead. Okay, and so the land had rest now for another generation, for another 40 years. uh, Chapter six begins with pretty much the same old chorus that we've heard before. Chapter six, verse one. Then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian for seven years. And the problem was that the Midianites, uh, down in verse three, we read, they would come up, also the Amalekites and the people of the east, they'd come up against the people of Israel. They would encamp against them and destroy the produce of the earth as far as Gaza, leave absolutely no substance for Israel, neither sheep nor ox nor donkey, for they would come up with their livestock and their tents coming in as numerous as locusts. Both they and their camels were without number and they would enter the land and destroy it. So Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites." and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. And you just imagine this army of, of, of camel soldiers coming in and these camels could run pretty doggone fast. They could run for a long time without getting weary. There's no way you're gonna run away from a camel soldier if you're a foot soldier. And they would come in and just totally trash out the land, take everything that they could. They would take Israel's livestock. They would take all of their grain. It's at harvest time. They, they again, strategically planned this to hit there during that time to be able to get as much goods as they possibly could. So now here, the Lord is going to raise up a mighty man of valor, our fifth judge, Gideon. And we first find him hiding out in the winepress. He's hiding from the Midianites. He's hiding in the winepress. Not because he's getting a little afternoon sip, no. He's hiding there because he's threshing the wheat down in the winepress, afraid of the Midianites. So the angel of the Lord comes to him and speaks directly to Gideon. Oh, the Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. Then he tells him, he says, you need to go in this might of yours and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? But Gideon didn't feel like a mighty man of valor. As a matter of fact, he responds back to the angel of the Lord. Oh my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh and I'm the least of my father's house. So on one hand, you would think, that's not the mind or, or the heart of a man that I want to lead, my, you know, have leading my army. Oh, I'm just a little guy and I come from a little family and I can't hardly do. And you're gonna be the leader? You're gonna be the deliverer? Isn't there somebody else, Lord, that you can call to do this? But the thing is, is if we thought that that wasn't the right guy, we'd be wrong. Because you see, Gideon knew from the very get-go that it wasn't gonna be his strength that does it. Be very cautious of the one that says, oh, hey, I can do this, I'm mighty, I'm powerful, I can do this. It's the one that says no, I need to be so totally dependent upon the Lord. That's the one, that's the one to follow after. Gideon knew that unless the Lord was his strength, he wouldn't have a single chance against the Midianite and the Amorite armies. To make certain though, to make certain this was God's call on his life, Gideon asked for assurance and confirmation and God gave him both. Look down in verse 34 says that the spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. He blew the trumpet and the Abizarites gathered behind him. And he sent messengers throughout all Manasseh who also gathered behind him. He also sent messengers to Asher and to Zebulun and Aftali and they came up to meet him. And in all, 32,000 men rallied behind Gideon. That had to give him some great assurance, again, that the Lord was with him. Man, I got... 32,000 men now. And then he went through the whole dry fleece and wet fleece thing, and that had to be a great confirmation. Yeah, God did exactly what I asked him to do. Twice he did it. But you know what? The Lord had an even better plan. Look in chapter seven, verse two. The Lord said to Gideon, uh, Gideon, you've got too many people for me to deliver the Midianites into your hand lest Israel claim glory for itself, saying, my own hand has saved me. Wait a minute, Lord, I thought you were gonna have a better plan. This seems like we're backing up a little bit here. The Lord tells Gideon to let those that are fearful go back home. So can you imagine, you're the commander of 32,000 warriors, and you say, okay, if any of you guys are afraid, go on home, and two out of three leave. 22,000 left, he's left with 10,000. Now you think, okay, now, this is not very good odds at this point in time because the Midianites, they had 135,000. He's down to 10,000. If your math is real good, you realize that's about 13 to one odds that you've got going for you right now. Not very good odds, and the Lord agreed that's not very good odds right now. So here's what we're going to do, Gideon. Look down at Verse four. The Lord said to Gideon, the people are still too many. Bring them down to the water. I'm gonna test them for you there. Verse five, he said, so he brought the people down to the water. Verse seven, the Lord said to Gideon, by the 300 men, the 300 that were left, I will save you and I will deliver the Midianites into your hand. Let everybody else go, every man to his own place. And so with 300 men, clay jars and torches, they routed the Midianite camp. As as these Midianites were asleep, and all of a sudden, the the blaring of the trumpets, the cracking of the jars, the, the torches up on the hillside, scared them to death. They figured that they were totally being surrounded by the Israelites. They started fighting each other. They started killing each other. Gideon then put a call out to the others to come back and to fight as these guys started running through the countryside. And down in verse 25, we read, they captured two princes of the Midianites, Oreb and Zeb. They killed Oreb at the rock of Oreb and Zeb. They killed at the winepress of Zeb. They pursued Midian and brought the heads of Oreb and Zeb to Gideon on the other side of the Jordan. Now the people at that point in time, they wanted to make Gideon king of Israel but he knew that that was not his calling. He had accomplished what God had called him to do, and there was now peace in the land for 40 years, another generation. But in the midst of this, his own son, his son Abimelech, tries to set himself up in his father's place. And after receiving money from his 70 half-brothers, he then turns around and kills them all, but the Lord wasn't going to allow him to reign peaceably. He actually reigns for about three years, trying to be a judge. But throughout that whole time, there are struggles and there's inner battles that are going on. At the end of chapter nine, the Lord allowed an unnamed woman to drop this. Uh, what does it say in uh, chapter nine, verse fifty-three? Allowed this woman to drop an upper millstone on Abimelech's head and crushed his skull. And so then he quickly called to the young man, his armor bearer, and said to him, draw your sword and kill me, lest people, will, or lest men say of me, oh, a woman killed him. So his young man thrust him through and he died. You, you can't make this stuff up, folks. Here's this, this guy that thinks he's a great warrior and because a woman dropped the stone that cro- cracked his skull, he says, somebody else kill me. I don't wanna die, I don't want people to say that a woman killed, you know what? In about five minutes, it won't matter what people say because you're gonna be gone. Well, from there, we have the next judge, judge number six, Tola, the son of the descendant of Toto, or no, actually, Dodo, uh, and he judged for 23 years. After him, uh, Jair, uh, uh, number seven, who judged for 22 years, chapter 10, verse four, tells us that his claim to fame was that he had 30 sons who rode on 30 donkeys who also had 30 towns. That's his big claim to fame in all of scripture. Judge number eight is found in chapter three. A man by the name of Jephthah the Gileadite, a, man, a mighty man of valor, but he was a son of a harlot. Now, because of this, Jephthah was rejected by his family. He was rejected by his tribe, until finally they needed a deliverer. See, Jephthah, after he was rejected, he gathered a bunch of worthless men around him, built up a pretty strong, mighty army. And so when they wanted, when they had problems, they went to the guy that they knew was mighty and they went to the guy that they knew was powerful, the one that they had rejected. They cried out to him. The unfortunate thing was that although Jephthah was used by the Lord to deliver them, he made this this rash vow to the Lord the spirit of the Lord was upon him. He would have used him anyway, but Jephthah felt he needed to somehow pay God back for this favor of being used. Look at chapter 11, verse 30. In verse 30, he tells us that Jephthah made a vow to the Lord and said that if you will indeed deliver the people of Ammon into my hands, then it will be that Whatever comes out of the doors of my house to meet me when I return in peace from the people of Ammon shall surely be the Lord's, and I will offer it up as a burnt offering. Unfortunately, the one that came out of his house when he came back was his daughter, his only child. She came out of the house to meet her daddy returning from battle. Now, some believe that Jephthah actually sacrificed his daughter as a burnt offering. Others, they they read that and they feel that, no, his daughter was sacrificed to the Lord to serve the Lord continually, to remain a virgin, to never marry, in order that she could serve the Lord with a whole heart. And they believe that, again, the, the Lord could have very easily stopped him like the Lord stopped Abraham when Abraham was about to sacrifice Isaac. Believe it or not, the wording of the scripture doesn't make it entirely Clear exactly what did happen, because he said that I I will sure whoever comes out or whatever comes out shall surely be the Lord's. And yeah, I will offer it up as a burnt offering. But then there's other wording in the balance of that chapter gives at least the argument. We don't know for sure, but we do know that in Deuteronomy, the Lord says, Do not offer your children as a sacrifice. I mean, totally forbidden by the Lord. So even if he did offer his daughter, it's, it was nothing that the Lord wanted. This is something that Jephthah, who apparently had no real connection, no real strength in the Lord, uh, would have done all totally on his own. Now, Judges 9, 10, and 11, they're all summed up together in chapter 12, verses 8 through 15. Judge number nine was Ibzan of Bethlehem. Verse nine tells us he had 30 sons, He gave away 30 daughters in marriage. He brought in 30 daughters from elsewhere for his sons, and he judged Israel for seven years. Number 10 was Elon, the Zebulonite, and he judged Israel for 10 years. And number 11 was Abdon, the son of Hillel, the Pirithonite. And verse 14 tells us that he had 40 sons and 30 grandsons who rode on 70 young donkeys and he judged Israel for eight years. Then we come to chapter 13 and we come to the introduction of actually the final judge before the coming of Eli as a priest and Samuel uh, before they come into the scene. Judge number 12, Samson, one of the saddest stories from one of the saddest books of the Bible. And yet even in the midst of all that was wrong within the message of Samson, there's still a lot of light that shines through it. Here we find God answered a prayer of an unnamed woman. Chapter 13, verse two. We read that a certain man from Zorah of the family of the Danites, whose name was Manoah and his wife, they were barren, they had no children. Verse three, and the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, indeed, now you are barren and have borne no children, but you shall conceive and you shall bear a son. Well, in an effort to be able to honor the Lord for that word and to find out the name of the angel and to make sure that what his wife had said was actually true, they set up this time that, hey, if you ever see that angel again, come and get me. The angel came back again. She went and got her husband. He came to her, and in verse 15, Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, please let us detain you and we'll prepare a young goat for you. And the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, catch this, this is a very important part here. Though you detain me, I will not eat your food. But if you offer a burnt offering, you must offer it to the Lord. For Manoah did not know that he was the angel of the Lord. And then Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, well, what is your name that when your words come to pass, we may honor you? And the angel of the Lord said to him, why do you ask my name, seeing it is wonderful?
0: As our time with you today winds down, we'd like to share where you can listen to today's message again. You'll find this and other teachings from Pastor David and The Open Word at theopenword.com. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast to ensure you never miss an edition of the program. Right now, let's turn it back over to Pastor David for a quick message
1: from the heart. Hello, friend. I'm so glad you joined in today to The Open Word. As you know, this broadcast is meant to share with you the hope, grace and love that can only be found through Jesus Christ. He's the reason I teach every week at Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande. I want as many people as possible to know and believe the message of the gospel. If you'd like to know more about what Jesus' life and death means to you, I'd encourage you to call us. We have some great people here who would love to pray with you and answer your questions. Our number is 520 836 9676. Again, that's 520-836-9676. Know that I'm praying for you too, and I value you greatly as a listener and brother or sister in Christ.
0: Thanks, Pastor David. We'd like to invite you to come see us in person as well at Calvary Chapel Casa Grande. We have services every Saturday, Sunday, and Wednesday, and you'll be able to find more information at theopenword.com. Just click the church link at the bottom of the page. With that, our time with you has come to an end. Join us next time to continue our journey through the Bible right here on The Open Word. Make us